I don't, I never know what to make of Elon Musk. I, we've got a friend who said he's one family tragedy away from becoming a supervillain. Oh, did you see the picture of him aboard the yacht? He's already at supervillain status. He's like a half a step away from petting a white cat. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Stories, the True and the Fictional. As you can tell from the slightly different style of music, this is going to be a slightly different style of episode. It's something we call story chat, where we sit down with an author, a filmmaker, or any kind of storyteller, really, and talk to them about their life and their work in a real fun and laid-back way. So sit back, relax. Unless you're going for a jog, then run faster. It's story time. Hello guys and welcome to this episode of Story Chat. We haven't had one of these in a, quite a while. We've been pretty busy. Um, Ryan's been taking a little bit of a break, but we're back, all raring to go. And today we have with us David Rocklin. How are you, mate? Doing well. Thank you guys so much for having me. Appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thanks for taking the time to come in and, and have a chat with us about uh, about your books and about uh, yourself in general. I, I love the opportunity to talk with you guys. So thank you for having me. And I, I just need to know what the thing is that I'm seeing over uh, Jamie's shoulder that says Ninja, since martial arts is pretty much- oh, no, he's, Jamie, he's talking about Ninja Turtles one. It's a team of Ninja Turtles. Spin around. All good, all good. I, I came up martial arts and combat sports, so when I see it, I get super excited. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're gonna, I think we're going to get quite along during this interview. <laughs> all right, do you want to crack into the icebreakers? Let's do it. All right, so this is yeah. just when we, we, we do this, uh, David, just to give, you know, sort of break the ice as to speak and give our listeners a chance to get to know you before we get stuck yeah. into the nitty gritty. Cool. Okay, so uh, if you could get rid of one thing in this world, what would it be? That's a great first question. I think what I would want to get rid of is the, the fervent, overly zealous, obsessive uh, emphasis on religious faith, and I'd replace it with that kind of faith in each other. Cool. I think that's, that's very, very, very noble. Very noble. Now, let, let's just play. We like to play this game as well. Let's just say that. Uh, we have world peace. Everyone loves yeah. each other. Um, okay. You know, there's no, there's no wars going on. There's no depression. There's no, you know, no inflation issues. Then what would you get rid of? Ooh. So really, Ooh. you've done the, you've done the good thing. You've done the political I, good thing. I, I, okay. And, uh, All right. Yeah, I got, I got my noble points now. Yeah, it's like, exactly. Okay. Now, 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 be selfish. What would you get rid of personally? <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. If I could be completely selfish, I would get rid of like all shitty reality TV. Yeah. Okay. I yeah. can't, I, you know, I just, I can't, I yeah. just can't. Well, it's, it, it's us looking at the worst of ourselves for entertainment. Yeah. I just can't, I can't get with it. I, I do much prefer the Japanese stuff. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> that's fun. <laughs> People getting hurt and yeah no no there's nothing wrong with a little well-placed violence don't get me wrong exactly i I, look i'll I'll happily support that answer see that's right we like to get you know obviously you know we we all would do the right thing you know like myself i'd get rid of animal animal cruelty and you know you want to do Mm -hmm. the right thing but then let's just say for example it's all done we don't need to worry about that yeah yeah. you know what i mean yeah right well what would you get rid of selfishly now that you've got spiders Spiders, I, I can't stand them. I've got Ooh. massive arachnophobia. Ooh. I can't deal with them. Okay. I would have okay. to. Uh, you know, I say it's weird because I say animal cruelty is what I'd get rid of, but <laughs> for me, spiders are not animals. They're deep. I was going to point out the irony there. Yeah, I would get rid of animal cruelty. I would also kill spiders. I, there's, there's, there's something <laughs> the spiders, there. Spiders are demons sent from hell, so that's fine. They're not <laughs> right. spiders animals. So, but if they made that long trip, at least give them something to eat before you get get rid of them. Yeah, okay. That's, that was a long way. I just can't deal with it. I absolutely, I absolutely. Okay. My housemate, she 
is uh, it's it's role reversal. Like normally it's the guy yeah. that kills the spiders, but she has to yeah. kill the spiders. So okay. Spiders don't bother me. I actually th- I think they're pretty cool. But that's also because I came up watching every horror movie I could get my hands on. So see, that's the thing, you know. I I I'm a massive just something personal about me. I'm a massive horror fan. I absolutely love it. I grew up on slasher, and then I've expanded to all kinds of horror. Now can't watch Arachnophobia. Yeah. Can't watch that movie. Cannot watch it. <laughs> okay. Okay. It's a it's 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 one of the the greatest semi horror. You know, it was PG for PG thirteen. It's a fantastic film yeah it's a fantastic film so do me a favor skip arachnophobia go straight to the 1950s sci-fi classic tarantula you'll thank me look i really appreciate and respect you but no (laughs) okay (laughs) tarantula just the name of the movie (laughs) i don't recall spiders being a part of it i'm sure it's fine (laughs) excellent (laughs) me i just get rid of scooters Okay. I, I'm, yeah. I'm a. I used to be a skateboarder. I try to do it occasionally, but I grew up just when those silver little Razorback scooters came out, and mm-hmm. you couldn't skateboard anymore because they were everywhere. And yes, like I used to call them pigeons because that's how they <laughs> behaved. <laughs> and if and if you're anything like where the 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 sort of the scooter thing that we have here, the folks who were riding them really shouldn't be riding that yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it's a little bit like now we're getting into subsets like i support people who are cycling yeah you know who who are cycling on the streets yeah. i would get rid of the, of the uh, spandex yeah oh yeah. definitely the active wear on the yeah it's just not, not <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah not yeah. a good look it's not like especially if you're going for a nice sunday morning drive you might be going out to brunch or have a nice meal and then you just have to see that like riding down yeah, the, yeah, no. yeah, yeah. 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 no it's 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 nightmare fuel <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's the word that's a horror movie that would scare me just watching cyclists in spandex for an hour and a half i just couldn't do it. yes and then <laughs> and then the cyclist gets killed out of the spandex come just an army of spiders. That's your perfect film. I'm getting like, no, thank you. <laughs> Let's move on and get rid of this spider talk. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get freaked out. All right, cool. <laughs> now, hopefully, your your answer to this is is a uh, uh, spider involving. But uh, what's on your bucket list? <laughs> So my, my bucket list is not spider involving, although theoretically undersea spiders could become a part of this. This is a weirdly specific bucket list item. Mm-hmm. I would love to scuba dive through a sunken like Spanish galleon. Oh, wow. I'd just be so badass. Yeah. Not like you know, scuba diving, like when people go on wreck dives, usually it's, you know, look, there's like a Buick. That That's not what I want. Really <laughs> cool old pirate ship and you scuba dive through it'd be so amazing that's actually a really good one i've semi sort of done a little bit of your bucket list there's a place in australia um in queensland called morton island so it's it's a resort um where they have dolphin feeding and stuff but they actually have uh further down the beach if you go which we did they have some of those old tankers uh like you would see all those um you know the metal crates on and stuff that have sunk and you can go under there scuba diving through there so it's not really as like a pirate ship spending but it's it's really interesting yeah just to see how like over hundreds of years how the you know the the environment has built up over these things yeah Uh, oh it's just amazing Mm. oh just the just the visual impact of seeing how nature kind of reclaims things yes so so cool and then of course skydiving that sort of thing for sure i would i would you know the only thing is skydiving makes me a little bit afraid but i'm more afraid of my wife who told me (laughs) no like no holds barred she would beat me to death if i ever dared to skydive so i'm more (laughs) oh wow and so you have to be even more careful because she might get in there with the parachute and she'd just kill two birds with one stone, you know? You know, the, the life insurance policy was out on the, t- the other day. Oh, man, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Okay, well, the next question, and this is my favorite. Yeah. I always jump in and take question number one because I like to ask and judge very harshly on this question. Um, <laughs> now, 
we we used to just have it as one question, but I think that's unfair. So we split it into two. So first of all, what is the greatest sitcom ever made? And if it's not your favorite, what is your favorite? Yeah. Okay. This was a this was the hardest question for me because I'm not a huge sitcom watcher. Okay. Um, but I had to go, so I had to kind of dig into like old memories. Mm-hmm. So I would say in terms of like social impact, I would have to say all in the family. Okay. Because yeah. it dealt with like all of these incredibly upheaval type issues in, a, in just a beautifully done way. Mm-hmm. But in terms of like my, my most fond memory of sitcom, and again, because I don't generally watch them myself very much, um, but I can remember my dad taking the most pleasure and just being so joyful around this one, it would probably have to be the old Mary Tyler Moore show okay, because yeah. that ensemble was so perfect and the writing was so spot on. And I never saw him as happy, honestly, as when he mm-hmm. was watching, you know, Lou Grant just go at it with somebody. So I'm going to have to go with that. Yeah, look, I think that's what, and that's essentially what, I, I believe sitcom should be. They should be. They should elicit those memories of, you know, when you're like they, they should be your go-to when you're feeling sad or when just the world's just sort of getting yeah. a little bit too much. And you go, you know what? When I used to watch this, or when I used to see, like in your case, my father watched this, the yeah. the happiness that they felt is what they should yeah. elicit. And you can go, you know what? I'm going to go back and sit down and watch a couple of episodes. Oh of yeah. Oh, yeah. I went back and watched the Shakes the Clown episode. That episode is absolutely perfect writing. It's hysterical. Yeah. And that's, that's, I think that's why a lot of people just generally go for the, you know, the friends or the, you know, which is a groundbreaking show. And it was, I grew up yeah. on it. Um, okay. You got to find those things that mean more. Yeah. 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 I, I've watched a couple friends episodes because my daughter now is at an age where she's starting to discover. Yeah. And I would say, although it was cute, that's about all I could say for it. The funnier one was probably How I Met Your Mother. Yeah, hundred percent. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, yeah. very, very fun. I agree. I think that was more geared towards. I think you're right. I think when Friends came out, it was more geared towards everyone. So you could something you could sit down and watch with your 10, 12 year old kids, and whereas How How I Met Your Mother is more meant for like teenagers and and adults because there's a lot of yeah innuendo and a lot of a lot of um mature jokes and stuff like that and i think that uh, that's one of my all-time favorites so yeah um, and i just like i just like the absurdist aspect of it there were times where it almost got surreal and (laughs) and so i appreciated that yeah 100 percent. i think that's a that's a really good answer well speaking of zombies uh (laughs) do you have a zombie apocalypse plan over there i do man i got four words for you you ready for this underwater home that's two <laughs> trained sharks because, because I, saw, I saw the fulci movie so i know that zombies could go at a shark yeah so trained sharks trained attack sharks underwater home i'll see you guys on the other side because yeah. i'll be fine no you know what you know what that's actually a really good a really good idea and it's actually quite funny have you managed to see the new resident evil series on netflix at all david i have not i have not something very similar i'm not going to spoil it for you but it's it's a real i finished it last night i ended up watching most of it in a day yesterday when i had a day off and um your idea i'm just going to say in the last couple of episodes there's something very very similar so I'm not going to okay. spoil it because it's only been out yeah. for a couple of weeks, but um, yeah. Okay, so I might have to. Check. I kind of checked out of that series after the first movie only because yeah. I I wasn't sure if I wanted to watch a 93 year old Mila Jovovich doing it. <laughs> no, the, the, the new see the the series on Netflix. Now, all yeah. I will say is just stick with it past the first episode because a lot of people are giving up. It's kind of a history of Umbrella and happened after raccoon city um but yeah it, look i think you'll enjoy it even if it's just for the last two episodes where okay kind of told your plan so okay like after the family goes to sleep because i, I can't watch that when my family's up because i'm yeah. the only for a person in the family so that's yeah. a that's a good idea but yeah you if given your zombie apocalypse plan i think you'll be pleasantly surprised <laughs> oh, i'm in i'm in <laughs> all right and the, 
the last question, which is another one of yeah. my favorites. So Elon Musk gives you a call. And um, you know what? He said, look, David, I've got this time machine. It's an electric time machine. I need someone to test it. Now, what you do is you get, you get to go one place. You, he gives you a little watch, which you can touch. will bring you back to the exact moment that you've left. But you can okay. do one place uh, for as long as you want. Where do you go? Oh, only one place. Yeah. Um, God. It would be a close call um, because I've always had a, a, an extraordinary fascination with the era uh, in this country called the Harlem Renaissance, which was oh, yeah. basically the 20s. Some of the finest thinkers, the most fascinating, remarkable people. But I've also, also had a fascination with Weimar Germany. And just that era that launched so much expressionism and, you know, Murnau and the cabinet of Dr. Caligari and these extraordinary works. But if I can only go to one place, I'm going to go basically like an hour before the Big Bang, because the notion of the big before the Big Bang, there was nothing is so far beyond my ability to comprehend that I just need to see what that was yeah. and then turned into. So instead of instead of before the Big Bang, there was nothing. It will be before the Big Bang, there was David. Right. <laughs> wow. Oh, I see what you did there. And, uh, you, you've been hanging on to resentment because of the spider conversation. <laughs> and you just, you just attributed a God complex to me. But imagine that. Imagine you could leave. You could, you could leave, like, imagine, you know, say thousands and thousands of years in the future when, yeah. when technology has moved along and they work out, we can replicate exactly what happened before the Big Bang. And can we? they wind it back yeah. a little bit further and yeah. they see this time machine come flying by. I don't, I don't think we can replicate it. Do you know why? Why is that? Because in the future, the spider overlords won't let us. <laughs> look, that yeah, no, nah, okay. Hey, look, I'm gonna I'd, just start up now. I'd, I'd like to think that it that the Big Bang was was David and Elon Musk traveling back. Something <laughs> <laughs> went wrong. Yeah. The time time machine exploded. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it, it, it was started by the argument we were having, where I was saying, "Just leave Twitter alone. Don't you have it?" <laughs> <laughs> I actually, um, accidentally met his ex. She's she's a writer, and she read at my reading series in LA. Oh, wow. And I didn't know who she was. <laughs> yeah. She just reached out to me and said, "Hey, I have a new book. I'd love to read." She was super nice. It was kind of a thriller. Very, you know, she's a very good writer, really talented, just a nice person. Oh, wow. um, Afterwards, she thanked me for having her. I'm like, absolutely. No, it was a total joy to have you. And everybody really loved what you read. And she's like, yeah. And I mean, but people sometimes just don't quite know what to make of me because of who I am. I'm like, okay. (laughs) And and she then said, so what's my last name? I said, it's Musk. And she's like, "Uh uh-huh. I'm like, ah, I I had just (laughs) no idea. Yeah. No idea. Now, now, let me say, when she was picked up, I know she was an ex, but did you see any signs of a DeLorean come past or? No, no? I did okay. not. I did not. Oh, there was a weird SpaceX flyby, but no, there was no, uh, there was no DeLorean. Because I, oh, I, she, still, I still, was really nice, really chill. Oh, that's awesome. It's good yeah. like that. It's just, I mean, I don't, I never know what to make of Elon Musk. I mean, I, I, I some of the things I read on Twitter make me laugh um like in a good way like in a good way mm-hmm. but i just I, we've got a friend who said he's one family tragedy away from becoming a supervillain. oh did uh, you see the picture of him aboard the yacht no oh with the no shirt on and stuff yeah no no he's already at supervillain status <laughs> that that's what you do that kind of like that look like i dare you to take my picture asshole that look is he's like a half a step away from petting a white cat <laughs> wow oh fantastic i like that yeah. that's the cue that yeah. up jamie that's the that's the lead in for this episode <laughs> <laughs> no worries um what time are we at on market um well 
Thank you for answering those uh, questions, yeah, David. Sure. Okay. So um, why don't you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into writing? Sure. Uh, thank, and again, thank you guys so much for having me. I mean, from a writing perspective, honestly, this has been all my life. Um, you know, I, I've gone through multiple phases of life since I was a kid. I wanted to be, I mean, I, I wanted to be Bruce Lee and probably still do. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to be a metal punk musician. I wanted to be this. I want to be that. And the only common through line is that I wrote about all of it. That was just how I made sense of the world. I, I never understood things until I wrote about them. And then life made more sense to me. Um, I think I, I credit uh, a woman who is still with us, thankfully, um, named Gloria Luxemburg. She was my uh, grade school English teacher. And she recognized that I had a particular fascination with stories mm-hmm. and fostered a connection with me, encouraged me to read outside of school and told me, um, I'm gonna see your name in print one day. And I've never forgotten it. And I thank her in the acknowledgements of each book I do. And uh, that's kind of what started me. And I would say post-college, post-law school, um, I always carried a sense of intimidation about what it would take to write a novel. It just felt like a lot and I didn't know how to get started, but eventually the need just became too much. And I started and failed and failed and failed and failed. And then eventually got to the place where a literary agent wanted to rep me and a publisher put out the book. So it was just work. It was just, you know, it was just learning by doing. Um, it just took a long time, but that's okay. I'm, I'm very, very at peace with the path I took. Excellent. Well, that's, and, and have you reached out to your, um, your teacher when you, you know, you obviously you thanked her in the acknowledgement. So I'm yeah. sure you probably sent her a copy of the book too. And, and gotten a copy of both books. And, uh, I speak with her over Facebook messenger oh. and just check in with her from time to time. She's in her early nineties now, oh, wow. um, but she's fry and feisty as hell. <laughs> and, uh, you know, she calls me her favorite student ever, which makes me feel good. Um, <laughs> like this lovely person and so we do keep in good touch it's really good that you can do that because i think you know you hear all of these stories about how influential teachers are in 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 part of you know fostering that that passion that you have and just making it sort of come out a lot more and it's really great that obviously she got to see this and she's got to read your books and i bet she's very proud which is why i ask that question you know like if you keep in touch yeah, it, it's just really meaningful for me that I'm able to tell her the fact that the words she spoke to me have lived in me all these years and really made a huge difference. I mean, it's, you know, I, d- I don't know that I would have found the confidence to tackle something like this if somebody hadn't believed in me early on. And I just carried that with me. No, I've, I, my, my sister's a teacher herself and, and, you know, that's the reason why she does what she does. And I'm sure that's the reason why your teacher does what she does, because to hear that would just make the whole decision to become a teacher worthwhile. Yeah. Somewhere, some, sometime down the line, someone is going to come back to your sister and say, you have no idea how much you matter. Yeah. It's a cool thing. A cool thing. 100%. Well, that's, that's, that's obviously how you got started. So um, who are some of your influences and, and what are some of your favorite books now and growing up? I, I mean, I, I, I don't even know where to start, but I would say one of the heaviest influences on the, the, the type of writing that I seem to gravitate to, both in terms of what I like to read and what also my stories end up becoming, is probably John Irving. Um, <clears throat> you know, Garp, of course, but also perhaps even more so, uh, a novel of his called A Prayer for Owen Meany, which remains to this day one of them, and this is kind of the quality in writing, whether it's writing a novel, whether it's poetry, whether it's memoir, whether it's film, whether it's music, whatever kind of expression, I'm always looking for a certain sense of like emotional generosity. Mm-hmm. And, and by that, I don't necessarily mean like treacly, you know, sick, you know, sacral. Uh, for is an openness, a, a lack of uh, a, a lack of withholding of emotionally what is happening in the moments of the characters, whether those characters are in a song or in a novel. And so that kind of emotional generosity, I think the first time I was really hit with it in a way 
that I recognized was probably a prayer for Owen Meany. And so since then, my, my favorite books have kind of traveled down that path. Some that come to mind, there's another author named Andrew Sean Greer, who wrote a book that's incredibly important to me called The Confessions of Max Tivoli, um, uh, Native Speaker by Shang Rai Li, and another book of his, Adjust Your Life. These are just many examples. I definitely gravitate towards literary fiction, which is probably not a surprise because it's what I most enjoy writing. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's excellent. And, uh, it's, it's just, I find like with me personally, I, I read a lot. So I, I go, I can go from my, my favorite is fantasy. I love fantasy and, and horror as well. But I, at the same time, I enjoy a really good biography or, you know, I can switch from nonfiction to fiction and yeah, I can, I'm kind of just a sponge on anything that's, and, and as Jamie jokes, we do these podcasts. He said, we do these podcasts, obviously, to get the word out about authors and books, but Jamie will joke and say, it's just to build my library because I keep <laughs> talking to people in the back of that behind your books. I end up buying that's them. So. <laughs> that's what that. That is a 100% legit reason to do this, and I'm great to do it. Since you like fantasy, I will share with you at a book convention um, uh, at the occasion of the release of the second novel when I was doing kind of a book tour, I ended up at this book convention. And after you do a panel or whatever, you sit at a table and you wait for people to come by and sign the book and yep. chat with them. So I was waiting at a table and you know there were people who were coming by and they were very nice, but across the aisle, there was a mob scene and I'm like, okay, who is that? So I stood up to see it was George R.R. Martin. Oh, nice. And he kind of looked over at me with like my three people and he's like, hello. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But afterwards <laughs> I, I spoke with him, the nicest oh, man. Is he? Absolutely the nicest man. Oh, wow. Oh, that'd be, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that'd, that's on my bucket list. I would love to, I'm a massive, massive George R. Martin fan, Raymond Feist. Uh, absolutely love David Eddings, yeah. my favorite author. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, that would have been amazing. Mm. I, I try to read across genres because I can learn from anyone. You know, yeah. there are so many to be taken. And just the, the deep abiding respect I have for any artist who went through what I know they go through to put that down, whether it is down on a track or, you know, in a book, whatever it might be, a, a canvas, a performance, just the blood and the sweat that it took them to get that there. If their heart is in it, I'm going to love it. I don't care what it falls into. I'm, I'm going to love it. And you can really tell too, I find uh, being a reader as much as I am, you can really tell when someone has literally put their blood, sweat and tears into yeah. you know, something that may have taken years and years and years and years. You can feel mm -hmm. it um, yeah. when you read that book. And, and I totally agree with what you're saying there. And you can feel it when they have it. Yeah. Um, and yeah. it sticks in all of our craws, right? When you read something, you know, just going with books and you think, wow, okay, this was mercenary. This yeah. was, was chasing the commercial aspect only. And I don't think this person believed in this story for one minute. Yeah. You 100% feel it. No, I, I couldn't, couldn't agree more with that. Excellent, excellent. Hey, sorry to interrupt. We just had a little bit of a technical issue at this point in the interview. The question Ryan asked was cut out. So here David is just telling us a little bit about why it is that some of his books are written in the past and what draws him to it. One of the questions that inevitably comes up is, is there a theme that you, that you tend to return to? And so for me, I don't, I'm not aware of a theme per se, but there is a sensibility that I keep circling and I've, I've circled it in two novels so far and I'm certainly circling it in the new one. And it is the sense of these moments. It's, it, you know, not to, not to quote the movie, but there's a certain sensibility that I keep chasing, which always kind of reminds me of Blade Runner, the idea that there are moments that are going to be lost. Yeah. And so I keep in, in my work, I seem to, feel a real imperative to go back and excavate some moment and then not only shine a light on it but just expand it and just present it because that moment mattered that life that is long gone that we know nothing about that has been lost to us for decades generations 
it really mattered in the moment it was happening. And I just feel this need to go back and illuminate it. And so I, I, I seem to keep doing that. And I guess that must be why I keep going to the past. That's cool. Yeah, I, I, I love I love the, the past. I love period films. Um, yeah. I will say I, I don't like Pride and Prejudice, but I do like Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. That was pretty cool. Uh, that, that's how the his, past history should have been, yeah. right? Yeah. You know? and, and I would say the same thing with Abraham Lincoln Vampire Slayer. Oh, yes. A hundred percent. I, I hadn't seen that and Jamie and my our other friend Chris were just like you haven't seen this and then during I took a couple of weeks off just to deal with some stuff and I actually watched it and I actually watched it twice it was that good I really enjoyed I think that would have been much more exciting it's it's it, you know it's the best work Anthony Mackie has ever done yes it is uh, <laughs> as far as I yeah and it's it's funny that two Abraham Lincoln movies came out that year mm. and <laughs> And only one was truly watchable. I'm not going to lie. Yes. The other one was a lifetime. It yeah. was just a lifetime. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I'm drawn to that. But, um, yeah, we so we noticed that um, your books are in the past. So do you want to tell us a bit about The Luminist, um, where that idea came from? And Yeah, absolutely. It, it actually came from a visit I made to the Getty Museum in Los Angeles. Um, which is just this gorgeous place. The building itself is like a piece of art. It's architecturally really stunning. It's a very cool place. And there was a photographic exhibition taking place while I was there. And so we wandered over to look at it. And it was of these sort of Victorian era photographs from the very dawn of photography as an art and science. And the, there was a whole wall devoted to a woman named Julia Margaret Cameron who was at the very forefront of photography. She had no particular skills, but she also transcended all of the barriers that were present for women at that time, mm. you know, that you need to be a homemaker, that you needed to keep your husband's social calendar, that you had no passions of your own. She broke through every wall that was in front of her and she created these extraordinary images using, using light and shadow um, in a way that a lot of people at first thought was just accidental because she was experimenting with, you know, the alchemy of how to create a, an image on, on glass with, with albumin and, and chemicals. Um, but, you know, looking at it in the context of her life, it really looks like she's making a comment about herself kind of coming out of the shadows and stepping into light. And I was so fascinated by just the imagery there. I was really taken with them. And I did a little bit more research on her and discovered just one little factoid out of her life that really hung with me. And it was the fact that like so many people unfortunately experienced at that time, she had lost a baby at birth. Mm. And so these two things, this, this devotion to this early age photographic experience and the loss of a child, which would have happened at about a time where the only way to hang on to your memory of somebody who's passed is your memory which is a fragile, fraught thing. And it just created this image in my head of a woman who had become obsessed with never losing anybody again to, to memory, to happenstance. And so The Luminist was born of that visit and that idea um, and became a, a heavily fictionalized uh, telling of a period in the actual Ms. Cameron's life when she was living in Salon, India, which is now Sri Lanka. Um, where she begins to step into this world of photography uh, in the name of her own dead child and a protege who is Sri Lankan. And she kind of find that they're both sort of outsiders as they're discovering how to create these images. And so that's, that was the luminous. Well, isn't it, isn't it amazing how just a simple visit to a museum and looking and, and a simple finding out about a photograph can lead you into having a, an amazing book like I just find that I just find that amazing those little a little moment you know there's no okay this is what I'm going to write about this is, oh, it was just a visit to the museum finding out about this person doing research and then it just all blossomed into that book it you know I I like to think about it almost uh, I I call it sort of unofficially called kind of the flypaper rule 
-hmm. where, you know, we're bombarded with images and ideas and thoughts and notions and, and odd sensory input every single day. But you ever notice how most of them drop off? But sometimes 24, 48 hours later, something is still hanging on to you. And so I've come to think, you know, I, I try not to be one of those writers who takes a pad with him everywhere and jots down every single stray idea, because let's face it, most of them are pretty banal. They're not that interesting. Yeah. But if something is hanging on to me 48 hours later, you know, three, four days later, I'm going to start looking at it because, and I don't mean to be too woo-woo about this, but I feel like perhaps it came looking for me for a reason and I need to look at it. That was absolutely the case with, uh, with what became the luminous. I, I think that's, that's hundred percent true. I think that certain people are meant to be at a certain place at certain times for a reason. And that, that yeah. reason doesn't always have to be, let's save the world. It could be right. to give a story like the luminous out about this person who you know, obviously went through a lot of tragedy and that became the reason why they developed to, we know it. And no, hundred percent. I completely believe, believe that kind of stuff. So moving on from the luminous, tell us about the night language. Yeah. The, the night language actually grew out of the luminous uh, because as part of my research for the luminous, I was very lucky to be able to get into the Getty Center's archives where I got to see every photograph that Ms. Cameron ever did. They, they have the entire collection. And among them, there was this really strange photograph that just slammed me. It was what looked like maybe a 10, nine-year-old boy, um, a young black boy who was dressed in what colonial English would have considered African garb, say mid to late 1800s. Okay. Uh, he was seated, it was obviously a staged photo and he looked terrified, lonely, and angry. And as I was writing through the luminous, I could not get the image of him out of my head. And so after the luminous was, was placed, and I was thinking a little bit about what, what's next now, um, I went back to that image, I did a little bit of research. And eventually what I discovered was this was a, a young man named Alamayu. He was taken from his home of Abyssinia, which is now Ethiopia, British army who invaded the country and stormed through it in just a few days time. Um, he was taken from his family. Um, his father was the emperor of Abyssinia, Toedros, who kind of pissed off England and the queen by taking hostages because she wouldn't uh, send arms. He was sort of a, a, a sort of a Christian evangelical zealot ahead of his time who believed that he was meant to wage holy war against the, the Islamic countries around him um, and demanded weaponry from the queen. She said, no, he held certain Britons hostage, England invaded, and this young man was essentially taken from his land after it was ravaged, brought to England and raised as a ward of Queen Victoria. And so the, the story was fascinating enough, but as I was playing with it, it oddly turned into a love story, which I was not expecting. It was not my intent to make it one, but it turned into a love story where he and another young black man, um, and in the novel, he's older, he's probably in his late teens or so. Um, and so a young black man who was an orphan in London, who was apprenticed to a surgeon aboard one of the British ships that invaded Abyssinia, they discover that they are actually the loves of each other's lives. And so this book, The Night Language, became a love story. The principal idea of which was if the only way to save the love of your life was to make an extraordinary sacrifice, would you do it? And so that, that became The Night Language. <clears throat> oh, wow. It sounds powerful. I was just about to say the same thing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a musical. Yeah, so, yeah. No. <laughs> Hey, I watched <laughs> Hamilton for like the third time last night. That's powerful. <laughs> I have not seen it yet. Oh, no? okay. I don't know what's wrong with me. It's just I, I was again. This is another one, Jamie and and um and my friend Chris has, has put me onto. I'd not I'd heard about the musical, um, but I I was a bit distracted by. And I thought he's a, a, a 
Speaking of someone who's watched like Avengers Endgame 10 times, which is about three and a half hours, but um, I sat there and watched it and I absolutely loved it. I've watched it multiple times since. It's definitely worth a watch if you've got Disney+. Plus. I, I have a confession to make. I do want to watch Hamilton. Um, I have seen maybe two or three of the Marvel movies. Yep. And now I feel like I'm about 50 movies behind yeah. and there's not enough life left to get caught up and the other thing and i i am they're brilliant they're brilliantly done i love black panther mm-hmm. and the wakanda forever trailer had me crying so i mean they i fully fully get them i i have this knee-jerk aversion to a lot of superhero films okay. because they all seem to follow this formula mm-hmm. act one i can't believe you murdered my parents yeah. oh that's a cool costume Act three, let's punch each other while city buildings fall down. And at a certain point, I'm like, okay, I know you're not going to die because the movie made too much money. So I don't know why I'm watching. And I, I, I got a really bad attitude about it as I, as I see Superman behind you. But I mean, I, when I watch them, I 100% appreciate the absolute passion the blood and the sweat and the storytelling craft, yeah. but getting to them is 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 just like it's not the first thing I think of. Look, I've just we just have to interrupt. I've got the CEO of Marvel calling through to say, "Can you stop giving away their secrets in how they make the movies?" Because yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, they don't want that getting out. But um, yeah. no, yeah. Look, I agree. He's leaving a message right now saying, "Guys, I have an idea. Let's <laughs> shuffle. Let's make Act Two where the buildings fall, and then in Act Three, he finds a cape." Genius, oh. and then we'll add spiders. <laughs> Look, do you want to know something funny? Even though I hate spiders, Spider Man is one of my favorite superheroes. I don't get it. I don't... He's, he's where because he's a guy in tights. He doesn't look like a spider. He looks nothing <laughs> like a spider. But no, I get where you're coming from. With the it, it is a big investment. Um, yes, yeah. you want to get in, and it's like I've had that aversion sometimes like i've i've never no, jamie will hate jamie hates me for this but i've never watched stargate and i figure i've watched the movie but there's 10 seasons stargate yeah uh, and and it's the movie, i thought the movie was fun i never yeah. watched the show no the i just can't there's 10 seasons and like i work full time i also drive as an uber driver part-time uh, I watch, mm-hmm. I'm a massive wrestling fan. So I watch like 14 hours of wrestling a week. I don't have time to watch like 10 seconds. I understand. I understand. I really thought Stargate the movie was fun. I have to admit, the thought that kept running through my head every time James Spader came on screen was, I really want to give you a goddamn haircut. <laughs> <laughs> James Spader is one of my all time favorite actors. I think he's absolutely amazing. I just, he is great. He is great. Yeah. Okay, now, well, I look, if we come back and we interview you again in like three or four years and you have watched all of the Marvel movies, I will commit to watching all of Stargate. <laughs> I don't really have a, a, a horse in that race. So. <laughs> I'll buy two copies of your book. <laughs> when, when, you, when you get that up to like 20, we'll, we'll chat. Okay, and I'll start right. Look, I'll do a few more days of Uber. I'll do some more shifts. I'll try and, you know, put a few more pennies away and, and we'll, we'll talk. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, wait, I have a question for you guys really fast. Okay. What movie in more times than any other movie? Back to the Future. That's an excellent choice. Excellent for choice. For me, it's, it's 1989 Batman, Michael Keaton. That was my, that's my, Batman is my all-time favorite superhero. That was a movie okay. I went and saw with my family. Um, mm-hmm. And it just resonated with me. I think I've probably watched it about 150 times. Solid, solid. Okay, no, good choices. What about yourself? Easily, because it's the number of times I've seen it is probably approaching something like 300 times. Yeah. If I had not entered the dragon. Oh, nice. Yeah, great. That's yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. That's no better. That's no better. <laughs> yeah. Also, surprisingly, really well written. Mm-hmm. Oh, really well. The dialogue in that movie is is popping. It's really solid. Mm. Oh, 100%. Well, there you go. So that oh, we, we, I like this. We're getting asked questions as well. We never get that. No one ever asks that question. I, because I care about you. This is it's, not just about me. You're laughing. Even though you are, you know? I have a complex, it's not just about me. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that.
Um, all right, why don't you tell us what you're working on currently? You did mention previously oh. that you're working on a, another book. So yeah, what you can of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm working on novel, well, I mean, novel number three in terms of hopefully fingers crossed published. But I certainly have other novels besides that, but you know, they're they're in that drawer that all writers have where they shall not see the light of day because they're 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 bad, but they <laughs> allowed for growth and for learning. Um, the new novel is called The Electric Love Song of Fleischel Berger. Um, it is set f- during a span of time between the late 1800s and the uh, beginning of World War II in Germany. Um, and it was inspired by, I, I was actually researching uh, near-death experiences just because I was thinking about this cool for a book, but also they're just, they're so cool to hear about when they can't be explained. So I was doing a deep dive and there was a footnote in an article about a near-death experience where the the part of the article was talking about the person's EKG and there was a footnote. And of course, you know, I'll, I'll go down any rabbit hole if I'm interested in something. So I went to the footnote and it said, you know, the electroencephalogram, which was popularly credited to a German scientist named Hans Berger, who supposedly created it after having a near-death experience of his own. So I'm like, well, this sounds interesting. So off I went. And what I found out was that he indeed, uh, in the late 19th century, um, having no sense of direction, had joined the German army, they were on maneuvers. There was a near-death experience. And at that moment, about 100 miles away, his sister claimed to have heard it. And the idea that that was a possibility so gripped him that he spent the rest of his life futilely chasing this notion and in the process kind of accidentally created the electroencephalogram. So that idea, not so much the near-death experience, but the sort of Moby Dick chasing the impossible white whale aspect um, has turned into uh, quite a story. (laughs) Um, It's really about what are the two things that could potentially be so powerful as to be heard across distance and even a little bit across time. And those two things are of course, love and death. And so this novel is now about a young man who has this experience, who is heard by the love of his life and is torn between trying to prove it and trying to live with it. Um, And it takes him from essentially the end of the century to the opening of the first concentration camp. Oh, wow. That sounds yeah. very, again, and again, going back to it, a footnote is what, you know, I, I like. That was it. Absolutely. A footnote, a scientific article, that was it. Yeah, oh, wow. So when, when are you expecting to have this book completed and be available? Yeah, I, uh, the availability part, no idea. Um, I'm actually, as we sit here, I'm up at our little getaway place, which is in Idlewild, California, just outside Palm Springs up in the mountains. Gorgeous. Yeah. Um, you're welcome anytime. And uh, I've, I've, my wife has been kind enough to say, since you're kind of in that part of writing where you just need to just be deeply immersed, just go up there for a few days and get work done. So I've been up here since yesterday morning. I'll be up here until probably Monday evening, just literally 10 hours a day, just living and breathing the book. So I I hope to be done with the revision pretty soon here, and then we'll see what happens. I'll keep you posted. Excellent. No, we'd love to have you back on uh, when when you have anytime, anytime, because that one sounds right up my alley. I really love that kind of. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastical element. Um, But it's also, you know, it's, it's kind of a, it's, it's a love story and all three of the books and others seem to be love stories in some fashion. So I was I was really hoping you, you were going to say it was available now because I kind of would, would have gone. I'm going away. <laughs> I'm going away for a couple of days uh, at the end of the week. Uh, I've got a couple of books that I'm taking with me and I thought, oh, I could do this one. But yeah, how did you back on when it's, it's, it's available if you hack into my email account? <laughs> <laughs> Where? Uh, mm-hmm. No. I, in fact, I'm reading it right God. now as we're doing it because I've done that. I can't wait to see that. I think that sounds um, like a really, really amazing concept. Thank you. Thank well, you. Um, thank you so much for coming on, David.
My pleasure. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Would love to come back anytime you'd be willing to have me. We're open. We're always open. But um, before we let you go, do you just want to tell our listeners, our viewers, where they can learn more about you, buy your books, um, follow you and all that? Thank you. Um, Books you can get anywhere. You know, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your bookstore. You can just ask them to order it if it's not in stock, either one. Um, You can find me most notably on Facebook. I have an author page. I also have a, a group on Facebook and on Instagram called The Right Formula, because as if I didn't have enough to do, I also wrote a craft book on just the art of writing. That's going to be available pretty soon. And we'll be creating retreats as part of that for writers to just come do their work, have sessions on everything from story structure to revision. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Instagram, on Twitter. Um, Please don't look for me on TikTok or Snapchat because I am too goddamn old for that shit. Yeah, Um, yeah, you know, you're not going to see me like trying to do like, you know, dance to Lizzo. It's just not going to (laughs) happen. As much as my daughter would be amused by it. Find me anywhere. Send me a send me a direct message. I love to hear from people, um, not only about questions about writing, but I love to hear from people as to what they're working on, because that's one of the reasons I created the the uh, reading group in LA. It's a community. You know, we all we're all doing something that not everybody in our lives understands, but we sort of get it in each other. And so it's nice to make that connection with people who get it. So yeah, I, I'd love to be one of those folks. So reach out to me anytime. Definitely. And and for our listeners, it's very easy to find. Um, you've also got a website, uh, which is davidrocklandauthor.com. Um, yeah, it's very- going to be reconstructed. So that's probably not the best place to find me. But well, I, I found your stuff quite quite easy on Amazon, literally, as you were just talking. Um, just type in David Rockland in the search. You can get, I believe you can get the night language in Kindle and paperback from what I can see. Yep. Um, that's right. And also the Illuminate the, is also there as well, the Luminous. Um, so I'll be checking them out today. Cool. Thank you. I appreciate that. As we say, this podcast is also about getting you guys out, but getting me new books to read and making me spend all my money. So, yeah, that's why I have to work two jobs for my reading habit, you know? Got it. Well, the next time I'm on, I, I would just request that your background not be blurred so I can see whether my book is on your shelves. And if it's, it's not... Oh, 100%. Despite, yeah, there will be spiders parachuting in. I shall have it sitting in front of me, like literally in front of my face the whole time we talk. (laughs) Wonderful. Well, thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for watching. Remember, like, subscribe, share, all that stuff that every other podcast says. Leave us a review. (laughs) And we'll catch you next time. See you next time.